Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and we have on Evan Blaker from NetNet Hunter. Evan, welcome back to the show. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, likewise. So, wanted to have you talk about McCoy Global. Tell us a little bit about that business and sure, the situation so, uh, over there. One of my notes on the company here. Please. Make sure to, uh, make sure to re- record some good stuff for you. Yeah. So basically McCoy Global, ticker MCB, they're being, I think they're traded on the uh, venture exchange in Canada. So they're a little oil service company and basically their product is a tabular running system. For Hold up one second. For those who don't know what the venture exchange is in Canada, can you just explain what that is for people who don't know what that is? Sure. There's the Toronto Stock Exchange, right? So that's fairly uh, well known. Yeah, Dude. The Toronto Stock Exchange is the equivalent of the New York Stock Exchange for the United States. It's that main, the TSX is the main Canadian stock exchange. Yeah. Absolutely. And they have, I guess, a baby brother called the TSX Venture. So Toronto Stock Exchange, Venture Exchange, I should say. And that's where a lot of the smaller junior companies are. So a lot of the Canada, junior, it's like the junior miners and... Yeah, junior miners. People are setting up companies in their grandma's basement, stuff like that. If it's a um, Canadian pump and dump, it's probably on the Venture Exchange. That's true. If that's your thing, that's where you want to go. Yeah. So they have a lot smaller companies and eventually they'll move up to the main board, which is the TSX. And then if they're really lucky, then they can move up to the NASDAQ or something like that. Yeah. So that seems to be the path. But anyways, this is a very much junior company. The market cap is only 18 million uh, Canadian. So 18 million in funny money. Uh, for you American net current asset value is 16 million. So it's not exactly cheap on a net current asset value basis, but they've done studies on net nets and they've found that companies that are trading just above net current asset value in general, on average, tend to work out very well as well. Really? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So the discount to net current asset value. What is the sweet spot for ones that don't work out? Are the ones that are trading like 80% of net current asset value? Do you think that's the worst performing? No, I would say that anything that doesn't have a net current asset value is probably a little bit. (laughs) Okay. I'm saying for things that do have a net current asset value, because isn't statistically, if I remember, I think you wrote about it in your book, actually. And guys, if you haven't read Evan's book, highly recommend, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But I think in your book, maybe I made making this up, but I'm pretty sure in your book, you talked about how like the ones that are trading at steeper discounts, the net current asset value do better. Yeah, they do, but not by a huge amount. So the relationship is very weak between discount to net current asset value and yeah, in returns, basically. It's there, but it's weak. And so- But uh, if it's slightly above net current asset value, you do better? No, you do about the same, or you do a little bit worse, but not much worse. Hypothetically speaking, if we were buying McCoy at 50% discount to net current asset value, you do, I don't know- maybe 25, 30%, somewhere in there. Now, if you buy above net current asset value, maybe you're looking at 25% or less. And of course, I'm not predicting that's going to go up that much or, or anything yeah. like that. It's just the relationship between the discounts. And there's other factors at play, obviously. There's buybacks, insider buys, everything else that you'd want to look for. Sure. You 
value company. So this one's trading at, uh, well, I put down 18 million. That was a couple of days ago now, but it's maybe 18 and a half million. So we're looking at about 115% of net current asset value. Debt is a little heavy at about 41%, but the current ratio is 5X. So, okay. So you're pretty well uh, covered on that department. Yeah, exactly. So it's not a huge issue. They are losing a little bit of money, but they're cash flow positive because they're draining their working capital. Okay. Yeah. So they haven't really had, we've just gone through this whole trough in the industry where especially 2020 and oil's negative, negative per barrel. Obviously this is a cyclical company being oil and gas and a very bad year for the industry. But the stock only traded down to about 37 cents and right now it's at 66 cents. So it's not far off, I would say. If you go back to, say, the 2013 bull market yes. uh, in oil, the stock traded up to about $7.50 a share. We're at $0.66. Cents. The upside is possibly $7.50 if drilling takes off again. The company is more or less the same uh, company that it was in 2013. Shares haven't really uh, changed that much or the share counts anyways. Yeah. So basically if drilling picks up, there's a lot of upside there, a lot of upside. If drilling doesn't pick up, I don't think that the downside is that large. Yeah. For the upside, what? how do you look at that? What kind of possible scenarios can you see? How do you model I mean, that? Out? If oil stays elevated and there's, that's always a question, but if oil stays basically around where it is and eventually a lot of these fracking companies start running low or getting the itch to expand and human nature being human nature, I think that's eventually going to happen then you could see a situation where they start making a lot of money again. Yeah. And and I think that 750 would be an absolute upside depending on how ferocious the market gets. But it's important to note that even if drilling takes off a little bit, the company will should do better. I could see two bucks a share fairly without too much problem. Obviously it's not guaranteed. So yeah. Yeah. Well, pretty straightforward situation. Yeah. Exactly. Are there any other oil and gas businesses or companies that could do well in a positive oil and gas environment that you're also looking at? Or is that the only one? Yeah, I do own one called Smart Sand. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of that. They're not a net, but they are trading uh, what I think is well below liquidation value. So I would call them a cigar, but I think it's SND. And they are traded. Where are they traded? Not on the venture. Smart saying. Yeah, they're, the they're on the NASDAQ. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They have a net tangible asset value around <clears throat> 10 bucks, somewhere okay. in there. And the stock right now is trading for, oh, it's moved a lot in the last couple of days. I, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that it's about 290. Okay. Yeah. So there's about a 2X, 2.5X upside if it does well. Yeah. So they, so Smart Sand, as you might guess from the name, owns some sand mines. And yes, you mine for this stuff. And they sell this to fracking companies. So the fracking companies can stuff it down their wells and expand the fractures in order to get more oil and gas out. That's mm-hmm. basically what they do. So they mine the sand, they ship it out. And obviously, if there's more drilling, 
then they're going to be selling more sand. They do have a lot of cash. The balance sheet is very good. Right now, I think they have a PE of three, but I think that is because the revenue contracts that they signed in the last cycle that but those contracts are going to be unwinding. So I wouldn't not be counting on that PE of three. But what we really want to see is drilling to pick up again. And I think that drilling might, a lot of people talk about the frackers having a lot of discipline in this cycle and, and not really uh, wanting to drill. They want to get that cash flow. But there is game theory, and game theory would dictate that if everybody's holding steady to keep the price up and keep those cash flows in, it's going to be a few companies that start turning the drills. And if you look at if you look at what the U.S. rig count is, yeah. it's been creeping up steadily for the past year. So we had a bit of a dip in I think June, uh, May June, where it wasn't really rising that much, but it's, it started to pick up a little bit now. And it's up substantially over a year. It might be, drilling might be slow to take off, but I think that eventually it will if oil prices stay high. So, Got it. All right. Well, interesting, Evan. Uh, pleasure to have you on as always. Great. And again, for those yeah. interested in buying Evan's book, you can get it on, what, you get it on Amazon? Amazon, yeah. Okay, great. So, got it right, right here. Always keep it handy. In get case a nice I'm visual for YouTube. For those watching on YouTube, we got a nice visual. For those listening uh, in your car, you can just imagine how beautiful the book can look. It's, it's beautiful. It'll look even better on your bookshelf. Indeed. Indeed. It looks nice on mine. My, my bookshelf was ugly before that book was on there. And when people walk into my place, they go, Eric, what a beautiful bookshelf you have. I go, well. Yeah. More and more people tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Good to chat as always, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, it's been great. Talk to you later. All right. You got it, man. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.